Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Seven minutes after four o'clock is our time. Chris Williams is engineering today's program. James Blind is producing. Today we're going to talk with June Hunt. She is a well-known counselor and author. Her latest book is titled Boundaries, How to Set Them, How to Keep Them. The book is published by Hendrickson Rose Publishers. And by the way, she has a number of these smallish books that cover a variety of topics that are relevant to just getting along together and making our way through life. So June Hunt will join us uh, later this hour. And then we're just going to wind our way through uh, some of the day's news and Quite frankly, there's a lot of it to wind through. Also want to remind you, tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer. Uh, In the latter part of the program, we'll remind you or at least let you know of some of the places in uh, the Portland metro area and across the the state that are gathering for uh, opportunities to pray together. And I apologize for not having a similar list in Washington. Uh, I know there are a number of opportunities there as well. I'll do better next time. So again, I apologize for failing to uh, cover our neighbors to the north. Uh, so uh, starting out with some of the developing stories, President Trump could be subpoenaed if he refuses to talk to special counsel Robert Mueller's investigative team, we learned today. Uh, Mueller warned a former Trump lawyer told the Associated Press that that's where things stand at this point. And the back and forth as to whether or not the president will or will not be questioned or subpoenaed or uh, how that's going to uh, Take place. Also, the Obama era DACA program may be in jeopardy after Texas and six other states sue the federal government to end it. And the U.N. General Assembly members voted with the U.S. only 31 percent of the time last year. State Department says U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley, uh, I should say U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley called the findings an unacceptable uh, return on U.S. investment. She's taking names, by the way. More on that later in the program. West Virginia's GOP Senate candidate battled over their uh, conservative credentials and support for President Trump in a debate yesterday hosted by Fox News. That was rather interesting as they clawed each other nearly to death. Uh, NBC News is reportedly under fire for allegedly victim shaming and pressuring women to support Tom Brokaw with the sexual misconduct allegations against the legendary news anchor who has managed to keep his job up to this point. Well, as I mentioned, a possible presidential subpoena we learned about earlier today. Special counsel Robert Mueller told the president's legal team that he could subpoena the president to appear before a grand jury if Trump refuses an interview with Mueller's team. Trump's former lead attorney told the Associated Press. John Dowd told the AP that Mueller raised the possibility of a subpoena during a meeting with Trump's legal team back in March. According to the account of the meeting, first reported by the Washington Post and confirmed by uh, Dowd, this isn't uh, some 
dumb game. You're screwing with the work of the president of the United States, he said to the Mueller team. Well, the meeting appeared to have been the first time Mueller raised the possibility of compelling the president to testify as part of his investigation into allegations of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russian officials ahead of the 2016 election. Although the questions that were, in quotes, leaked yesterday indicate that the investigation is much broader than that and has very little, if anything, to do with collusion. The Post report came one day after the um, New York Times and Fox News and other outlets obtained that list of questions that Trump's legal team believes Mueller wishes to ask him. Well, Texas and six other states have filed a lawsuit against the federal government. They're seeking to end the Obama-era program that protects hundreds of thousands of young immigrants who were brought to the country illegally as children. The Trump administration has sought to end the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, or DACA, but the effort to to phase it out has been blocked. About 800,000 youth called DREAMers are protected under the program's umbrella. There are certainly far more of them that could have been protected but did not apply. The lawsuit asks for all DACA permits to be rescinded or the administration to be uh, blocked from issuing or renewing new requests. Specifically, it's meant to challenge whether the 2012 executive action unilaterally creating DACA was itself lawful, the suit states. Well, as I mentioned, Nikki Haley, the U.N. ambassador to uh, or as the, rather the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. is taking names when she started as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. She warned that she'd be taking names of countries that do not have our back, as she put it. Now, a newly released annual State Department report on voting records at the world body will tell her who exactly is in America's corner and who is not. The report found that U.N. member states only voted with the United States about 31 percent of the time last year on resolutions at the U.N. General Assembly. That's down 10 percent from the prior year. Reacting to the report, the U.N. ambassador said in a statement that it was not an acceptable return on the United States investment and suggested this could factor into aid decisions. And the battle for West Virginia began. U.S. Representative Evan Jenkins, West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, and the former coal executive Don Blankenship, who's... um, out on parole. Uh, the top tier candidates in West Virginia's Republican U.S. Senate primary sparred on uh, Tuesday's debate uh, that was televised on Fox News over who is most conservative and more closely aligned with President Trump while blasting special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia probe. Jenkins denied being a creature of the swamp despite enjoying the backing from Washington Republicans. He emphasized his uh, support for Trump. Jenkins attacked Morrissey for past comments where he said Trump was, uh, wasn't his first choice in the 2016 primary, uh, primary rather, but Morrissey boasted of his eventual backing of Trump at the convention and his opposition to former President Barack Obama. Meanwhile, Blankenship portrayed himself as the true outsider in the race, saying he wouldn't go to Washington to get along with the GOP leadership like Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. The U.S. Senate race in West Virginia is considered pretty much a toss-up in the midterm elections. Republicans hope to unseat incumbent Democrat Senator Joe Manchin. And on this day in 2011, Osama bin Laden is killed by elite American forces at his Pakistan compound, then quickly buried at sea after a decade on the run for the September 11, 2001 terror attacks. And then in 1994, Nelson Mandela, he claimed victory in the wake of South Africa's first Democratic elections. President F.W. Clerk, he acknowledged defeat on this day. And in 1982, the Weather Channel made its debut. Unfortunately, the weather hasn't improved as a consequence. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll uh, continue to wind our way through some of the news. And we're also anticipating a conversation with June Hunt, her latest book, Boundaries, How to Set Them and How to Keep Them.
That's coming up later this hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 19 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later in this hour of the program, June Hunt will join me. Her book is titled Boundaries, How to Set Them, How to Keep Them. Well, a WC-130 military plane crashed and burst into flames today shortly after takeoff at a Georgia airport, killing all five people aboard, according to the Georgia Air National Guard. The Puerto Rico Air National Guard plane crashed just before 11.30 a.m. shortly after takeoff from Savannah Hilton Head International Airport. Uh, The plane was uh, bound for Davis-Monthan Airport Base in Arizona and on a training mission when it went down. There have been... uh, uh, there has been a plane crash at the intersection of Highway 21 and Crossgate Road, uh, will, uh, and the road will be shut down, the announcement uh, uh, said. Uh, first of all, this is a military plane. There have been far too many of them. One uh, that crashed, killing 16, increased the number of incidents uh, rather dramatically, but uh, there's growing concern about whether or not these aircraft are sufficiently maintained in order to protect the safety of our men and women in uniform, a growing concern. Hopefully the money allocated most recently by Congress will help address that problem. Well, ahead of landmark to President Donald Trump, North Korea has allegedly released three U.S. prisoners who were being held for years in a labor camp. Kim Dong-chul, Kim Sang-duk, and Kim Hak-song are all three U.S. citizens who were arrested in North Korea last year and accused of hostile acts. All three have been held ever since in one of the rogue regime's notorious labor camps. But now multiple media reports have claimed that the three men were released from the camp and brought to receive medical treatment in North Korea's capital, Pyongyang. It's unclear if and when they will return to the United States. Well, some experts suggested that the move was meant to facilitate upcoming talks between the president of the United States and the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un. Last week, the family of another U.S. citizen previously held by North Korea filed a lawsuit against Pyongyang over the death of their son. You'll recall the 22-year-old college student Otto Warmbier has been accused of stealing a propaganda poster while visiting North Korea on a school trip. He was returned to the United States in a coma, died a few days later. In their lawsuit, the Warmbier's parents accused North Korea's leadership of having brutally murdered their son. The lawsuit and the detention of three American citizens was expected to be a point of contention in the upcoming talks between the president of the United States and Kim. Trump's newly appointed Secretary of State Mike Pompeo allegedly spoke to the North Korean leader about the prisoners when he secretly visited the Hermit Kingdom over Easter. Well, South Korea's media reported that the U.S. prisoners are receiving ideological education. They're being coached to claim that they did not experience human rights abuses while in prison in North Korea, not surprisingly. But rights groups say the prisoners in North Korea's prisons and labor camps are routinely tortured and treated inhumanely. Detainees face deplorable conditions, sexual coercion and abuse, beatings and torture by guards, forced labor and dangerous and sometimes deadly conditions. That's according to a 2020 2016 report by Human Rights Watch. Those accused of serious political offenses are usually sent to political prison camps known as Kwanlizo, uh, operated by North Korea's national security agencies. These camps are characterized by systematic abuses, including meager rations that imperil health and can lead to starvation, virtually no medical 
care, lack of proper housing and clothes, regular mistreatment, including, as I mentioned, sexual assault and torture by guards and public executions. The report continued. Well, North and South Korean leaders met last week for an historic summit during which they committed to ending decades of hostilities and to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula. Former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, however, warned that North Korea's leadership should not be trusted. And those of us who have followed very closely know that well. The North Koreans, uh, she told Fox and Friends host on Tuesday, have a tendency to do this when they're under pressure. They come to the table, they make promises, and then they break those promises. So the expectation is that uh, unless there's evidence to the contrary, it's likely to conduct itself in the very same way. Meanwhile, a group of 18 Republican lawmakers have signed their names to a letter formally nominating President Trump for a Nobel Peace Prize, the latest development in a growing push to award the president the honor for his work toward peace in the Korean Peninsula. The letter sent by Representative Luke Messer, a Republican from Indiana, uh, to the Norwegian Nobel Committee on Tuesday, signed by 17 other members, says Trump was, has worked tirelessly to apply maximum pressure to North Korea to end its illicit weapons program and bring peace to the region. Now, some might argue, well, it hasn't uh, ful- been fulfilled just yet, but you'll recall the previous administration, President Obama, before having done anything, was awarded the same prize. There wasn't even something pending at that time. They went on to write, and we're talking about House members of the current president, his administration successfully united the international community, including China, to impose one of the most successful international sanctions regimes, regimes rather in history, the letter says. The sanctions have decimated the North Korean economy, have been largely credited for bringing North Korea to the negotiating table. The letter is signed by 17 other members, including Representatives Mark Meadows, Marsha Blackburn, Matt Gates. Uh, Diane Black, Steve King, and others. Going on to say the, uh, that although North Korea has evaded demands from the international community to cease its aggression for decades, President Trump's peace through strength policies are working and bringing peace to the Korean Peninsula. The letter went on to say, we can think of no one more deserving of the committee's recognition in 2019 than President Trump for his tireless work to bring peace to our world. Well, the meeting between the President of the United States and Kim Jong-un is expected sometime in late May this month or early June. The nomination is for the 2019 prize as the 2018 award nomination period ended in February. According to the Nobel Prize's website, a nomination is considered valid if submitted by persons in certain categories, including members of the national assemblies and national governments, cabinet members, ministers of sovereign states, as well as current heads of state. There are 330 candidates for the 2018 prize, which will be announced in October. Um, uh, Messer, who is currently uh, locked in a Republican primary battle to challenge incumbent Indiana Democratic Senator Joe Donnelly in this year's midterm, announced his uh, intention to nominate Trump last week and floated the idea of the prize in March. The only reason the North Korean dictator is coming to the table is because President Trump has uh, stared him down and showed him. Uh, that we have a leader in America who means business and who has changed the dynamic in major ways, uh, Messer told Fox News. That's why I think he has uh, has to be considered for the Nobel Prize. Well, the move for an award for the president uh, has picked up steam since the dramatic develop, uh, developments rather in relation to North Korea, which has seen the leaders of North and South Korea meet in person for a summit where the two discussed denuclearization, declared a formal end to the Korean War. The North Korean regime has also said it will end its nuclear weapons and intercontinental ballistic missiles testing program in a rally in Michigan at the weekend. Trump touted progress there. We'll see what actually happens in the days ahead and whether or not North Korea has 
uh, changed its approach to these kinds of talks or not. So we'll uh, keep following that story. Well, tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer, and it's an opportunity for us. It's a call for us to come together to pray for unity for our nation. And I hope you'll take advantage of the opportunity to gather with others to acknowledge and participate in this occasion. It really is quite amazing that we would be called as a nation to prayer, to humble ourselves, to acknowledge our need for for God's intervention. And so we want to take full advantage of that um, of that call. You can go to the website nationaldayofprayer.org for more information about events taking place in your area. I'll also share some of those locations later in the program uh, as uh, some of you may want to join with others on this special day. Well, special counsel Robert Mueller told President uh, Trump's legal team that he could subpoena the president to appear before a grand jury if the president refuses to interview with uh, the Mueller team. Uh, John Dowd told the AP that uh, the investigator raised the possibility of a subpoena during a meeting with the Trump legal team back in March. Well, that team has been altered somewhat dramatically since then. Dowd resigned as Trump's lead lawyer weeks later amid a dispute over how to answer Mueller's uh, request for a presidential interview. Well, the meeting appears to have been the first time that he raised the possibility of compelling the president to testify as part of his investigation into allegations of collusion between the campaign of uh, then-candidate Trump and Russian officials ahead of the election. On the heels of the report, Trump said on, uh, well, rather this morning, uh, once again called the probe a witch hunt and the collusion allegations a hoax. There was no collusion. It is a hoax, he said, and there is no obstruction of justice. That is a setup and trap. What there is uh, is negotiations going on with North Korea over nuclear war, negotiations going on with China over trade deficits, negotiations on NAFTA, and much more witch hunt. Trump tweeted, not surprisingly, denouncing the whole affair. Well, the possible questions cover Trump's interactions with key figures in the Russian saga, including former FBI Director James Comey, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, and go to what the president was thinking at uh, separate times. Well, the queries also touch on the president's businesses, his discussion with his personal attorney, Michael Cohen, about a possible Moscow real estate deal. Cohen's business dealings are part of a separate FBI investigation. One question asks what discussions Trump may have uh, had regarding any meetings with Mr. Putin, referring to Russian President Vladimir Putin. Another question asks what the president may have been may have known rather about a possible attempt by his son-in-law to set up a, a back channel with Russia before the Trump inauguration. And on Tuesday morning, the president said it was disgraceful that the list of potential questions had been leaked to the media. In a brief phone conversation, uh, Dowd denied that he had leaked the list to the media and denied that he was the source of the initial Washington Post report on the Mueller meeting and the drama continues 30 minutes after four o'clock is our time up next we're going to talk with june hunt she is a prolific author she's a counselor and her latest book is titled boundaries how to set them how to keep them we'll be back you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq we're back 35 minutes after four o'clock you're listening to the georgine rice show let me ask you a few questions that my next guest asks and answers do you feel people pressured pressured by people is someone taking advantage of you do you have trouble saying no well if that's true you need boundaries a boundary is an established limit 
not to be crossed. And although boundaries are um, are needed in all areas of our lives, they can be difficult to establish and especially to maintain. Well, here to talk with us about what they are and how we can keep them is the author of a new little book titled Boundaries, How to Set Them, How to Keep Them, June Hunt. She is an author and counselor. She is the founder of Hope for the Heart, a ministry that changes lives with resources translated into 30 plus languages on six continents. She hosts two national radio programs, including Hope in the Night, featuring live call-in counseling. Her 100-topic biblical counseling library provides biblical hope and practical help for today's problems. And we are honored to have June Hunt with us here today. Thank you so much for joining us, and welcome. Oh, it's wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much, Georgine. Well, let's begin by defining, as you do in the book, what a boundary or what boundaries are. (laughs) Well, many times we think of uh, a boundary, as you stated, an established limit, a line that should not be crossed. And by the way, when you think about the first of God's Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. So God is very clear about boundaries. And uh, the truth is, when there is that dividing line uh, and someone crosses it, there are repercussions and rewards. Well, there should be, but let's say a parent doesn't understand that. We've we've got to help them. I I think the issue is uh, uh, the word boundary in terms of human relationships, uh, that could feel awkward. I've just talked with someone on a radio program. She was giving money to a daughter and a son, and she said, I don't even ask where it's going. And I said, oh, so you don't mind at all, just where, even if it were to support a drug habit. And she said, oh, no, I don't want to support a drug habit. I said, but, you know, your, your daughter's on drugs. And she said, well, but I want, I want peace. I want us to have the best possible relationship. I said, well, do you want to do what's best for her? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, of course. Well, then giving her money to fund her drug habit isn't best for her, is it? And then she began to weep on the, on the radio. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. I know it's not. But she's caught because that's relationship boundaries, which very candidly, you and I, we, we know that people grow up with boundaries, like in school. Let me ask you, did you ever play a sport, like yes. kick the can or baseball or anything? Yes. What, what did you play? I ran track. I played baseball. I did it all. <laughs> oh, wow, track. What would happen if you were in the Olympics? Let's be very specific, Georgine. What, what would happen if you were the, in the Olympics? You're running track, and you cross over in that Olympic game for the gold medal, you cross over into someone else's lane. You're immediately disqualified. (laughs) Oh, but you didn't mean to. Hmm. (laughs) Immediately disqualified. (laughs) Okay. In other words, it's just, that's the rule. Mm -hmm. So we understand it because kids grow up playing sports. And so we need to translate this not just into the sports life, but into the living of life, because there are people who allow others to literally run into them, to cross into their, what is, it should be even private space sexually, and it's like, but I can't say no. Yes, you can, but we've got to just help people 
in all areas of life, and, and that means a boundary is a dividing line, a line that separates one entity from another. It's specifically when it comes to relationships, there are personal boundaries that are the byproduct of realizing that we are uniquely separate from one another and responsible, personally responsible for our own responses. And so we've got to learn what do we need to do when we don't have boundaries. Well, let me ask you, because I think some people assume that uh, the absence of boundaries and allowing people to take advantage is somehow a virtue. It's an expression of meekness and that if we establish boundaries, then somehow we're, we're being selfish. Can you explain why that is not the case? That is a great question because on a personal level, I grew up, if you have a dictator, an unbenevolent dictator, in that kind of a home, whether it's a mother or father, um, you are not allowed to have your own voice. You grow up voiceless, and that was my situation. And uh, my father said, I'm not a Christian. I don't have to go by Christian ethics. And he had all these women. And you know, it, and, and I, I did once try to confront and because he would cause such pain for the whole family. And, and I kind of got shut down. I got beaten, and I got sent away to boarding school. So that doesn't help for growing up years. But what happens then when we, who didn't have a voice as children, you know, or if we tried, we got smashed. What happens then when you're an adult? You grow up fear-based. And what I did, I I remember having some um, wonderful workers, people that I worked alongside at times, and I was actually over them, but I would allow, people would think, why do you allow her to talk to you that way? How can you allow her to say those things to you? And I honestly felt powerless. I thought, I don't have the power to do anything. Yet I was, I did have the power because I was the head of a ministry. But I didn't feel on the inside Mm. powerful. And so I needed to actually learn something specifically. I'll tell you what really, Georgine, did did it for me at one point. I, I thought, I saw a scripture and I thought, oh my goodness, it was Galatians 1.10. Am, am I now trying to win the approval of people or of God? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be the servant of Christ. I wanted to be the servant of Christ, and yet I was allowing myself to be controlled at times by people who would use anger, which was used on me as a child, and, you know, I was triggered. And so I had to to learn, okay, June, when, you know, by the way, the Bible says, when, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. I thought like a child. Now that I'm an adult, I put childish ways behind me. And so I began to tell myself, June, grow up. You've got to grow up. Don't live like you were as a child. I couldn't help. And many people right now are realizing, that's me. I I didn't have a choice growing up. 
But if you're an adult, now you have choice. You have adult choice. And so that scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, may be for you. 1 Corinthians, write this down if you can. Not, don't have a wreck if you're a car. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Now that I'm an adult, I put childish ways behind me. So I think part of the issue was for me, I would view when I was being uh, verbally abused or emotionally abused, I I would think I'm just going to give. It's more blessed to give than receive. And I would tell myself, love love does what's best for another person. So I I would try to do things, and I thought I was being loyal. That, you know, what that did, all it did is further entrench the person who was breaking the emotional and verbal boundaries. It confirmed to them that they could do this. That's no big deal. She's allowing it. So it's no big deal. So you're perpetuating what we could call dysfunction. It's not, life is not functioning the way it should. It's called dysfunction. And we don't need to live dysfunctionally as adults when we have a choice. Yeah, yeah. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. Again, we're talking about one of the many very helpful books written by my guest, June Hunt. This one is titled Boundaries, How to Set Them, How to Keep Them. It's very practical and help you if you are being people pressured, uh, as she puts it, um, how to manage uh, what is absolutely necessary, not only for you, but for them. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with June Hunt. She is the host of Hope for the Heart. She's also uh, the author of Boundaries, How to Set Them, How to Keep Them. And we're talking about why it's important to establish them and the benefits you uh, enjoy. Now, how are healthy uh, boundaries of mutual benefit? Certainly the person who has set the boundary will benefit, but how might others also benefit as a consequence of being responsible with one's person, if you will? You know, boundaries are biblical. Uh, they are helpful in every way. Uh, l- l- let me describe a true situation. I was sitting by a young man on an airplane, and I'd just written a book called Bonding with Your Teen Through Boundaries. And so I'm sitting by a college student, and I said, did, you, did your parents ever have you to um, have boundaries, and then if you actually violated them, did you have to pay a repercussion? He said, oh, yes. I said, tell me what happened. He said, well, my curfew was midnight on on Saturday, and I moseyed in about 2 in the morning, and my parents were up. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, they took away my car privileges, and I had to get rides to my, to my school at high school, the senior year. Mm-hmm for two two weeks. And so he said even I had to find rides from extracurricular activities. And I said, how did you feel about those boundaries? He said, well, I didn't like them. I said, did you think your parents were being unloving? Oh, there's no question. They love me. In fact, because of them, now that I'm a student at Texas Tech, sorry, at uh, A&M, Texas A&M, I watch my watch like a hawk. And he said, in fact, I think they're great. 
So initially, he didn't like the boundaries, but what it trained him to do is to be responsible. So here you have a parent who's wanting the best for their son or daughter. And so often they think, oh, I want to be friends. I don't want them to be upset with me. Because I, I, I even asked this guy, I said, did, did you feel your parents were being unfair? And he said, well, that's what all kids think. But he, then he comes back. See, it's like parents don't want to wear the black hat. They hate to wear the black hat. Like in the Westerns, the Westerns, uh, the black hat guy was always the villain. And the white hat guy was always the hero. So the parents don't want to wear the, the black hat perceived as a villain. But what they find is when they do their job right with boundaries and administer at times a repercussion when the kid goes across the line, they find that later on that black hat turns white. They're the heroes. You say that letting go of the victim mentality isn't easy. Someone who has been oppressed by relationships, have been taken advantage of, that uh, letting go of that victim status and that mentality can be difficult. Why is that and why is it important to move on? I, I, I don't think most people want to play the victim. I think they just feel powerless when, let, let's say, Let's say you become an authentic Christian. Here is an authentic Christian who has given his or her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Bible says it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So on the inside now, you have new power. It's not your power, it's divine power. In fact, in the Bible, in Second Peter 1, 3, and 4, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So when I know someone is a true, authentic Christian, I'll say, do you realize you don't have to feel powerless anymore? You have the power of God on the inside of you, the power of Christ, because he's living inside you. And you can now claim, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So that person who has a tendency, who often cuts you down, you do not have to stay standing in that room. I talked to a mother, sorry, a wife, actually, wife and mother, but but the other day, she said, thank you. Your teaching on verbal and emotional abuse and the boundaries has totally changed our dynamic in our marriage. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, usually it was always World War III. We would blow up, get into this horrible fight, and, you know, I, I learned that I didn't have to do that. I said, what did you learn to do? And she was in a course I taught for nine weeks. And she said, well, I learned if he starts yelling at me, I say, I'm not going to stand here right now. Now it's not a good time for us. I'll leave and come back. And so she said, I started leaving. And she said, for the first time, he has asked forgiveness. He's never asked forgiveness. In the 12 years of our marriage, and this is the first time. She said, I'm now learning, don't allow yourself to be somebody's punching bag. And you don't threaten, I'll never come back. You say, this is not a good time for us. I'm not, I'm not going to stay here now. I've, I'm leaving. I'm coming back. So we, what you do is you learn new skills, and you quit 
assuming that you are powerless when someone who uses anger against you because that's your trigger. So we're really helping people become all that God created them to be. I was just going to ask you what are some of the ways to communicate new boundaries, and you've given us an excellent example. Any more um, suggestions on how to communicate those boundaries, not necessarily in a violent confrontation, but just generally Mm -hmm. speaking in relationships that help relationships develop in a healthy way? Let me get very, very basic. Um, a lot of people think, well, kids can't understand this. Of course they can. So, so think about a goldfish. This is an illustration I just love. Think about a goldfish bowl. And here's this little goldfish in the goldfish bowl. I don't like the boundary of this bowl. It is limiting. <laughs> I hate the boundary of this bowl. I want out. This is terrible. And so this little goldfish learns to flip his fin and flap his tail a little bit here, a little bit there, and actually gets a little bit higher and higher. And finally, one day, the goldfish leaps out of the bowl. So he's free. Is the goldfish free? Mm. He's free of the boundary of the bowl, but he's also dead. But goldfish need the boundary of the bowl. And so the Bible says there's a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. God gave you to me, you could say as a parent, God gave you to me and me to you. And part of my job is helping you stay in the bowl God has given you. And as you grow, God has designed your bowl to grow right along with you. So it will always be just the right size. So parents need to start young, explaining that at times we all are given boundaries. We're given boundaries by God, and it's right for us to have boundaries with people. So we're not literally crossing the line, or we're not jumping out of the bowl. Some people have caused the death of their relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's family or friends. And, and later they regret what they've done, but they still may not know what to do or even understand the dynamic. That's why it's vital that we understand healthy boundaries. Mm. We're talking about the book that is simply titled Boundaries, How to Set Them, How to Keep Them. Now, I would imagine setting them, that, that might be the easier of the, the two uh, ends of this process. But keeping them can be a challenge. One might feel pressured, might feel unnatural to set and keep a boundary. What are, what's your advice for keeping a boundary once it's been set and communicated? You have hit the nail on the head in terms of difficulty. I mean, it does take time to, if you've not set boundaries before, just figure out what is the right line for you to have. What's wrong for somebody to do? What makes you feel very uncomfortable and you know it's not right? So you need to state what that boundary is. Now, if it is crossed, you must have a plan in place. Um, If someone is in your life, it can be Let's say you're dating somebody, and all of a sudden, here's someone who's used to being physical, and that, whether it's sexual, whether it's violence, um, you, you say, 
if you do anything that pressures me physically, I will report it. I will leave. You, you, you communicate, you know, because sadly, so many young people, they recognize there's something wrong. They're in dangerous dating. They, it's called dangerous dating. Mm-hmm. And so they need to have a line that must not be crossed. Parents can help with this. And, you know, have, is he ever doing anything that makes you feel uncomfortable? Honestly. And so see if you can talk about it. But the, the key here is enforce your boundary consistently in your quest to become more Christ-like, even if you don't feel like it. Meaning there is a right time to say no. And this is the, the key. The Bible says, say no to ungodliness. Uh, the, the Bible is very clear that at times you must say no. The way I say it is, at times we need to say no to a person so that we can say yes to God. And if somebody says, I just don't know how to say no, well, just put the tongue, your tongue, <laughs> to the roof of your mouth. Are you doing that right now, Georgine? I'm doing it. Okay, okay, and now go, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Do you know what? I used to do that with youth. I was a youth director, and I would do that because so many of them had never said no hmm. to a, in a dating relationship. And they said, but nobody ever told me how. And so I said, well, put the tongue to the roof of your mouth, and we would all have everybody say, no. And that means you say no to a person who's doing something wrong. And the sad thing is it gets, typically, it escalates. It gets harder and difficult, more difficult over time. So you say no to people when it's ungodly, when it's not right, when you're being forced. No to people so that you can say yes to God. Mm. I love putting it in that context because it, it's, it says something not just about your relationship with another person, but your relationship and how you relate to God. The book, once again, is titled Boundaries, How to Set Them, How to Keep Them. June Hunt, you are prolific. I appreciate so much the resources that you have made available to help people in this and so many other areas. For people who are interested in a copy of this or would like to uh, see some of the other resources, what's the best way for them to connect? They can contact us uh, at hopefortheheart.org, hopefortheheart.org, or call our 1-800-488-HOPE line, 1-800-488, and the letters H-O-P-E. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking with us today. My great joy. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Again, June Hunt is a counselor. She's an author, and she's the founder of Hope for the Heart, a ministry that changes lives uh, with resources translated into 30-plus languages on six continents. She hosts two national radio programs, and it's uh, been a joy to have her with us here today. We're going to take a break here in just a few moments. At the top of the hour, we've got news and traffic. Stick around. There's more to come. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Eight minutes after five o'clock. That's the time you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Chris Williams is engineering today's program. Clark Hilton, by the way, is on vacation. James Blend is producing. Glad to have you with us. Well, tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer, and one of the things we'll do in this hour is share with you some of the locations, at least in Oregon, and I apologize for failing to also have a list of opportunities in the state of Washington for a gathering for the National Day of Prayer. The theme this year is unity, and so it it behooves us, if I can use such a word, behoove 
uh, to come together and pray for that very thing. Because quite frankly, it's impossible unless the Holy Spirit is working in and through us because we are just not prone toward um, unification. So let's uh, let's pray together. Well, we've been taking a look early in the program uh, before my conversation with June Hunt. By the way, her book is titled Boundaries, and if you've just joined us, you can listen on our podcast for that interview or any others that you may have missed or want to hear again at kpdq.com. But we've been talking uh, earlier in the program about some of the developing news stories, and quite frankly, the the number of them seems to be growing, and uh, issues that are of uh, importance, they're significant to the a future of the Republic, and certainly gives us much to think and pray about. And continuing in uh, following some of the day's news, we learned today that Ty Cobb, who has been one of the president's uh, in-house attorneys representing him in special counsel, uh, Robert Mueller's probe, is set to leave this month. Now, this isn't uh, news to the president and other attorneys representing him. Apparently, Mr. Cobb had announced sometime earlier that he intended to retire, but he's going to be replaced by an attorney who represented former President Bill Clinton during his impeachment fight. Um, which didn't go that well, so I hope he's uh, up for the the task now. Cobb sports a traditional uh, mustache. He served as the president's internal legal counsel. He acted as a uh, liaison between the White House and Mueller's office. White House uh, counsel Don McGahn, he advises Trump internally on separate matters. Well, Mr. Cobb, he's uh, now going to replace Emmett Flood, who served as counsel for Clinton during the the impeachment proceedings in 1996. Flood also was the lead attorney at the White House Counsel's office during former President George W. Bush's second term. And Flood is a partner at William and Connolly. The law firm also represents Hillary Clinton and did so during the FBI's investigation into her private email server. For several weeks, Ty Cobb has been discussing his. Uh, Retirement And last week, he let Chief of Staff uh, Kelly know that he would retire at the end of this month, according to White House Press Secretary uh, Sarah Sanders in a statement uh, today. Cobb tirelessly defended the president, she said, repeatedly uh, uh, stating that the president is not considering or discussing the firing of special counsel Robert Mueller. Well, Cobb's retirement comes weeks after former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani joined Jay Sekulow on the president's legal team, defending him and Mueller's probe into Russian meddling and potential collusion between his campaign associates during the presidential election. Giuliani has vowed to reach a resolution with the special counsel. Well, Trump's legal team has been in flux over the last several months uh, amid uh, John Dowd's resignation. Dowd was Trump's uh, lead attorney on his legal team and voiced strong opposition to Trump uh, doing an interview with Mueller. Well, uh, yesterday, Fox News obtained a list of questions that Mueller has stated, rather slated, to ask Trump. And we learned uh, earlier today that a subpoena is uh, certainly not out of the question for the uh, the uh, Mueller investigation, should it come to that. We also learned today that President Trump lashed out at his own Justice Department, uh, tearing into officials for not operating with the documents uh, requests, not cooperating with the document requests from congressional Republicans while warning he could use the powers of his presidency to intervene in the dispute. A rigged system, he said. They don't want to turn over demo- uh, documents, rather, to Congress, the president tweeted, in an apparent swipe at the Justice Department. He said, um, uh, what are they afraid of? Uh, why so much uh, redacting? Why such 
unequal justice. At some point, I will have uh, no choice but to use the powers granted to the president and get involved, In quote. Now, what that means precisely, we don't know. But the president uh, didn't specify the documents he says the department won't release. He also didn't say which presidential powers he's referring to, though it could be anything from declassifying files to extracting files sought by Congress to perhaps intervening in the Russian probe. Well, this tweet comes as uh, it's been confirmed that the Department of Justice sent a letter on Monday to two Republican lawmakers declining to provide the full scope memo uh, related to special counsel Mueller's Russian probe, saying it pertains to an ongoing criminal investigation. In the memo, the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein laying out the uh, scope of the investigation. Uh, Lawmakers went to uh, rather want to know the scope of that investigation, whether Mueller is investigating matters outside of that designated scope. Well, last week, the president said during an interview uh, that he's uh, he tries to stay away from the Justice Department affairs. But at some point, I won't, he suggested. And apparently that was an example. This is the latest example of I won't. Hmm. Well, the president yesterday told the West Point Black Knights football team his administration is seriously thinking of creating a sixth military branch called the Space Force. Now, before you uh, laugh and don't take it very seriously, I also read a memo from the Pentagon suggesting that uh, the United States is not prepared for engaging in the air in that way, uh, but that that is the next phase of military engagement. And whoever controls the heavens, if you will, will ultimately control uh, the planet. Well, Trump invited the football team to the White House to present the players and coach with the coveted commander in chief trophy after they defeated both Air Force and Navy last season. Starting in 72, the trophy has been awarded to the Military Service Academy that wins the triple threat match between the Army, the Navy and the Air Force. Academies. Well, the president told the cadets the uh, Space Force would join the five current branches of the United States Armed Forces, the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, and Coast Guard. We were actually thinking of a sixth, and that would be the Space Force, he said. We're getting very big in space, both militarily and for other reasons, and we're seriously thinking of a Space Force. The president went on to command, uh, rather commend the uh, future role of the West Point football players, most of whom will be commissioned as officers in the Army upon graduation. You will join the greatest force for peace and justice the world has ever known. He said, you will keep us safe. You will keep us strong. You will keep us free. And thank you for your service. And go Army. You are a special group of people, young people, and it's an honor to have you with us here at the White House. Well, as president-elect, Trump attended the 117th rivalry game between West Point and the Naval Academy, which resulted in Army snapping Navy's 14-game winning spree at uh, the annual rivalry. I just love the armed forces, love the folks, Trump said while attending that game. The spirit is so incredible. I mean, I don't uh, know if it's necessarily the best football, but it's very good. But boy, uh, do they have spirit. <laughs> he just had to throw that in that it may not be the best football anyway. The Space Force. Huh. I know the comedians late night will have a lot to say about that. Despite the Pentagon report, which was actually quite uh, sobering and serious. All right, 16 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res and Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi is bucking calls from within her party to step down as the chairman of the 
uh, of the House, uh, the top Democrat, announcing Tuesday her intention to run for speaker. She's confident that the House will be taken back by the Democrats. She told the Boston Globe that she's confident Democrats will regain control of the House in November under her leadership. We will win. I will run for speaker. I feel confident about it. And my members do, too, Pelosi said, noting she believes it's critical that women are represented in the U.S. political leadership. Democrats have expressed frustration and raised some concerns about party leadership, claiming that they failed in recent elections to find a message that connected with voters in middle America, resulting in Republican control of Congress and the White House. Well, uh, Massachusetts... um uh, Representative Seth uh, Moulton, New York Representative Kathleen Rice, California Representative Linda Sanchez have recently suggested that the caucus needed fresh leadership. Democrat uh, Connor Lamb, who won the Pennsylvania special House election in March, distanced himself from Pelosi during the ra- during his race and has also advocated for new House leadership. Whatever uh, whether Pelosi, who is now 78, remains the top uh, House Democrat, as she has for about a dozen years, will likely depend on whether Democrats win roughly 26 Republican-held seats in November to take control of the chamber. The potential uh, contest to replace Pelosi already has uh, been handicapped as the two-person battle between Maryland Representative Steny Hoyer, the uh, chamber's number two Democrat, and New York Representative Joe Crowley, chairman of the House Democrat Caucus, has begun in earnest, at least to some degree. Well, the Clinton Foundation, after seeing a drop in donations amid increasing scrutiny and pay-to-play allegations, is revving back up with a glitzy fundraising gala that uh, coincides with a broader push by the Clinton machine to stay in the political spotlight. Uh, spotlight rather. Axios reported uh, Monday that longtime Clinton supporters received an invitation offering access, a word that dogged Hillary Clinton throughout her failed 2016 presidential campaign, to the family at a May 24th benefit for the Clinton Foundation. The cheapest ticket for the event is $2,500 for cocktails and dinner. Deep-pocketed donors can lay out $100,000 for a pack Package, including leadership reception for two, a premium table of 10, program recognition as gala chair, and the invitations to the Clinton Foundation annual briefing. Chris, will you be buying that uh, level, the uh, $100,000? No. No. Well, the invite features photos of Bill, Hillary, and Chelsea Clinton, implying they'll all be in attendance. The foundation scaled back its activities in 2016, downsizing the Clinton Global Initiative, placing restrictions on fundraising with claims of pay-to-play by donors seeking access when Clinton was Secretary of State. The Clintons denied any such arrangements and are back in the spotlight now with a new surge. The biggest such controversy related to the state of, uh, the rather, the sale of Uranium One, a Canadian-based energy firm and holder of some 20% of U.S. uranium stocks to Russian energy company uh, Rosatom or something like that during Clinton's time as Secretary of State. Well, the connection between the sale of Uranium One and donations to the foundation were first reported by author Peter Schweitzer in his 2015 book, Clinton Cash. The New York Times reported that the Clinton Foundation received millions of dollars from donors connected to Uranium One as the deal was in the process of being approved by representatives of government agencies, including Clinton's State Department. Well, it goes on from there, but didn't go on much further in terms of accountability. But the Clintons apparently are back, uh, despite um, the ethical cloud that was cast some time back. Well, after her final day as president of abortion provider Planned Parenthood, thousands of people took to social media to celebrate Cecil Richards and thank her for her role in ending the lives of some 3.5 million people during her tenure. 
Well, that's not quite how they put it. The nation offered uh, kind remarks on Richard's positive attitude, support for women's rights, and ruthless genocidal efficiency. The hashtag, thank you Cecil, or Cecile, or however you pronounce her name, began trending as Planned Parenthood supporters all across the country expressed their gratitude to a woman who orchestrated the wholesale destruction of millions of innocent people. Supporters stated they wanted to make sure her 12 years of service and bloodshed weren't forgotten as she moved on to the next chapter of her life. Her fight for women's rights, they wrote, and access to health care is an inspiration to all of us. Well, maybe not all of us. Also, how you took the idea of taking the lives of unborn babies from safe, legal, and rare to any time for any reason without apology and shout your abortion in one decade. Thank you. Uh, one woman in New York tweeted, along with a picture of the outgoing Planned Parenthood president, we all owe you an eternal uh, debt of gratitude. Other tweets and social media posts express similar sentiments with thousands praising Richard's fierceness, bravery and, well, cold-blooded brutality. But, of course, that's not how the culture looks at abortion on demand. Uh, that she spearheaded as the head of Planned Parenthood for some 12 years. Well, the queen of abortion has finally abdicated her throne at Planned Parenthood so she can uh, spread uh, her gospel with her latest memoir. For 12 years, mom has put her heart and soul into running Planned Parenthood, Richard's daughter uh, tweeted on Monday. On her last day, it's impossible to express what this organization, abbreviated, has meant to her and our family. We can't wait to continue to support it. Uh, as a few of the 11 million supporters across the country. Hashtag thank you, uh, mom. Across their various Twitter platforms, Planned Parenthood has been thanking Richards for being the fearless leader that she has been. Meanwhile, in the state of Washington, there's an effort to monetize wombs and legalize baby sellings, redefine parenthood. Well, that, according to um, one Christian Post report on the subject, uh, Washington state is set to legalize commercial surrogacy. It's a move children's rights advocates say amounts to the selling of babies, bases the definition of a parent on intent and opens avenues for child abuse and other horrors. Well, just before 1 a.m. on Wednesday morning, the Washington State House of Representatives passed the Uniform Parentage Act along party lines with every Democrat in favor, every Republican opposed. The bill had previously passed the state Senate with total Democratic support and three Republicans. The state Democratic Governor Jay Inslee is expected to sign the legislation. For House Republicans, this bill was a matter of conscience. That's a quote from Liz Pike, who represents the state's 18th House District, according to Clark County Today. We all voted no to protect the womb from being monetized and commercialized. This bill set um, uh, virtually no limits on the amount people will be able to sell or purchase a human baby for. I'm disgusted that such a bill would ever be considered, let alone pass. What have we become as a state selling human babies to the highest bidder? Is this who we are? Again, quoting uh, Liz Pike, who represents the state's 18th House District. Katie Faust, who leads Children's Rights Organization, Them Before Us, testified before the legislation uh, uh, during the hearing regarding uh, the likely soon-to-be law and calling it disastrous, saying, when I say that we have established a global marketplace for children, I am not exaggerating. That is exactly what this is. She was speaking to the Christian Post 
Uh, once you legalize something and commercialize something, uh, you're going to get more of it, she said, noting that the Washington legislation contains no restrictions and more economically disadvantaged and vulnerable women who think this is just another way to make money will be exploited. As the bill stands, Faust explained, no limits are placed on how many children can be procured through surrogacy arrangements. No requirements exist, saying that people intending to pay for surrogacy services must be residents of Washington State or American citizens, or even that the women must be inseminated in Washington. All it takes is one consultation that concurs, or that rather occurs in Washington soil, and a contract can be legally enforced even if the individuals using the surrogate mother hail from nations where surrogacy is prohibited. Uh, motions uh, to amend the bill requiring all intended parents to be subject to the same screening procedures as adopted parents and the creation of a state-run database to track those intended parents and limit the number of births were voted down. In its uh, current form, as it's uh, passed out of the House, the bill even permits convicted felons to purchase human babies, Pike explained. There was a host of amendments, or there were a host of amendments offered by esteemed colleagues that uh, would have put needed protections in the bill, but of course, the Democrats systematically rejected them all one by one, the lawmaker said. In recent years, notable horror stories have appeared detailing the abuses of fertility, uh, the fertility industry, but that apparently did not weigh in on this um, uh, this uh, effort. The Straits Times reported to Sunday that 28-year-old Japanese billionaire uh, Mitutsoko, well, I won't try to pronounce the name, who was not married, won custody of 13 children that he fathered, not directly, um, and uh, his uh, issue was used to create through an American-owned fertility clinic operating in Bangkok using surrogates from Thailand. He reportedly told the clinic he wanted to produce 10 to 15 babies per year and continue uh, the baby-making process until he dies, yielding potentially hundreds of children. He plans to send his offspring to an international school in Tokyo. Well, it goes on from there. Faust told the uh, Christian Post that he or anyone else like him could come now to Washington Washington state and legally undertake a similar endeavor if Uniform Parentage Act is signed into law. Though the Democratic legislators uh, had their minds made up, Faust gave each one a copy of a list of documented cases where surrogacy-related incidents went horribly wrong, including a case where two men were convicted of uh, subjugating a surrogate-born son to, as one investigator described it, the worst pedophile ring, if not the worst ring I've ever heard of. Police believe the men created the boy through surrogacy for the sole purpose of exploitation. And of course, there, as I mentioned, there is no accountability built into um, this uh, plan in the state of Washington. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 37 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. By the way, in our next segment, I'll let you know some of the locations in Oregon where you can gather with others for the National Day of Prayer. Well, California conservatives fired up the state's latest uh, tax revolt on Monday by submitting nearly 1 million signatures to repeal the recent tax increase on gasoline and diesel. Governor Jerry Brown and his special interest rent seekers need to prepare themselves. We're coming. That's a quote from Reform California Chairman Carl 
uh, DeMaio at a press conference in San Diego, and we're taking back the money, he said. Organizers, including uh, Republican gubernatorial candidate John Cox, carried boxes containing petitions with nearly 950,000 signatures to the San Diego uh, County Registrar's Office uh, of Voters. Uh, That's far more than the 585,407 valid signatures required to place that repeal for the November 2018 ballot. The Secretary of State has to validate those signatures, but there are sufficient uh, overages that it will be on the ballot. Supporters of Senate Bill 1, signed last year by the Democrat uh, Brown, argued that uh, the tax hike tax increase is needed to fund repairs and improvements for the state's deteriorating roads, highways and bridges, as well as mass transit projects. Fighting the gas tax may appear to be a good politics, but it isn't, said Mr. Brown, the governor, in his uh, January State of the State address. I will do everything in my power to defeat any repeal effort that gets on the ballot. While the measure raises the per-gallon tax uh, on gasoline by 12 cents and diesel by 20 cents and also includes an increase in the vehicle registration fee, the tax hikes are expected to raise some $5.4 billion every year. Foes argue that the Democrat-controlled state legislature habitually diverts funding for badly needed road repairs to other priorities. Opponents include Democrats, labor unions, local governments, which have uh, united beyond um, or rather behind Proposition 69, a June ballot initiative that would guarantee the tax increase would fund transportation by placing uh, the revenue in a lockbox. So that uh, will be on the ballot. Meanwhile, Facebook is now going to start ranking news organizations by their trustworthiness. I'm not sure who's ranking them or testing their trustworthiness, but Facebook uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced on Tuesday that his company is going to start rating news sources based on user surveys. Huh, kind of like taking a poll. Um, he said that the company is uh, rolling out a program rating the trustworthiness of news organizations based on user feedback. Uh, so truth will um, be dem- democratically selected. Content will be ranked and either promoted or suppressed depending on its performance, according to surveys filled out by Facebook members. Zuckerberg says the new initiative is part of an effort to uh, help users find common ground following criticism that his company's platform has damaged democracy. So now it's going to manage democracy uh, by popular vote. It's not useful if someone's just kind of repeating the same thing and attempting to polarize or drive people to extremes, he said. Tens of thousands of Facebook employees will begin to monitor posts to minimize fake news and reduce propaganda. And artificial intelligence will also be utilized in the effort. The company has vowed to spend billions on the sweeping change. In an additional crackdown on election meddling, Zuckerberg confessed that Facebook's new vetting process will mean that the company is essentially going to be losing money running political ads, but the new process will likely take years, if not a decade, before being fully functional. The changes were announced at Facebook's F8 development conference, where he uh, met with news outlets like New York Times, CNN, Atlantic Media, and the Huffington Post, you know, a good mix of conservative and liberal media. Oh, no, wait, I guess not. Uh, This comes among rising complaints from conservative outlets who are not included in that list, who claim their uh, traffic has been suppressed by the social media giant. In March, Fox News host Tucker Carlson said Facebook is not a neutral host. It has a political agenda. It's an act of ideological warfare, and it's far more um, worrying than anything that Cambridge Analytica has done or is accused of doing. So we'll see what actually happens here, but uh, never fear. Facebook and its employees are going to determine what's true and what's not. 
They're not going to allow the process to work itself out with people deciding for themselves what they choose to believe, read, and support. Well, Cambridge Analytica, by the way, the marketing research company at the heart of the Facebook uh, data breach, is shutting down. That's according to media reports. Cambridge Analytica's parent uh, company uh, said it was shutting its U.S. offices during the uh, conference on Wednesday, a call with employees, according to the documents. Um, separately, the Wall Street Journal also noted that Cambridge Analytica was shutting down, but did not specify whether it was the entire company or just the U.S. offices. It's still not clear which is the case. Julian Wheatland, uh, the uh, group's chairman and the man who was supposed to become the next full-time CEO of Cambridge after Alexander Nix stepped um, uh, stepped down, led that call. Uh, apparently, some form of Cambridge Analytica is going to be no more. Meanwhile, health officials report the first death linked to the uh, multi-state E. coli outbreak that's been um, pinned to romaine lettuce grown in Arizona. The latest numbers from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, tallied 121 illnesses across 25 states with 25 hospital, or rather 52 hospitalizations that include 14 cases of kidney failure. The agency's updates indicate an uptick of 30, or rather 23 additional illnesses since uh, April 27th and now includes cases in Kentucky, Massachusetts, and Utah. The agency did didn't release any additional information about the fatality, directing questions to the California Department of Public Health. The CDC continues to uh, warn against purchasing or consuming romaine lettuce from the Yuma, Arizona region and said restaurants and retailers should not serve or sell lettuce from that area. I've uh, been to a couple of restaurants in the last several weeks and I was told that I could not have the uh, salad that I wanted with the lettuce that I'm used to for that very reason. The warning applies to salad mixes, whole heads, um, hearts of romaine, chopped romaine, baby romaine, and organic romaine. And while most people recover from E. coli infection within a week, severe infections can result in uh, much more serious uh, syndromes and require hospitalization. Symptoms of E. coli can present as diarrhea. Uh, Severe stomach cramps and vomiting, the outbreak that began in late March, has not been um, pinned to a specific grower or distributor, which makes it all the more um, challenging and troubling. And have you heard about the the event that's taking place in Washington, D.C. on May the 5th? It's uh, men and women who left homosexuality, transgenderism to a rally at D.C.'s Freedom March. Uh, The uh, event is taking place, as I mentioned, on the 5th in Washington, D.C. These former transgender, bisexual, lesbian, gay and men and women, including an Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting survivor, is going to be a gathering in the nation's capital for a worship event. It's next weekend to proclaim how Jesus Christ liberated them. Now, the truth is you are not permitted to uh, admit that you were in the lifestyle and that you've stepped away from it and you found contentment, hope, healing and transformation through Christ Jesus. But these men and women want to make a public statement, and they're going to do that at the nation's capital on May the 5th. If you think about it, there'll be a gathering together from noon to 3 p.m. Uh, say a prayer. It, it could be a, an event um, that could have a real impact across the uh, the country, or it could be one that is uh, challenged by others. But uh, there are hundreds of thousands of men and women whose testimony fits that profile 
And it takes a great deal of courage uh, to step forward and acknowledge what Christ has done in the life of, uh, of an individual. Darren Mell, who's the president of the group Voice of the Voiceless, says he sees the event as an opportunity for those of us who have, who have a new life with Jesus to come together in fellowship and praise him for the love and grace available to everyone who seeks it and to testify publicly of the life-changing grace available to leave the LGBT identity for something greater. And this is not a protest. It's not a political event. It's simply an uh, an opportunity to acknowledge what Christ has done in the lives of these individuals. Again, that's on uh, May the 5th from noon to 3. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Washington, D.C. on that day. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, tomorrow, of course, being the first Thursday of uh, the month of May, is National Day of Prayer. And so I wanted to uh, let you know where some events are taking place. This is not by any means an exclusive or a, a comprehensive list, but these are the ones that we're aware of. And if you're looking for a place to just gather with others as we pray for our nation, this is a great opportunity uh, to do that. As we mentioned yesterday, there are some 35,000 events that are taking place across the country. And those are just events that have uh, indicated to the National Day of Prayer task force that they are meeting for that purpose. My guess is there are many others who aren't necessarily uh, noted in this uh, national tally. But the theme this year is unity. And they're asking us to pray uh, for unity in America, unity in the church here in the United States, unity in families, workplaces, communities, cities in America, among all ethnicities and people in the country, and that we would agree um, clearly and pray extraordinarily for the next great spiritual awakening. They're asking us to pray for the government, the military, the media, business, education, the church, and the family. You can find all that information and more at the nationaldayofprayer.org. Uh, website, Pray for America, and uh, they actually offer some assistance, some scriptures, some outlines to remind you of those areas that we are praying uh, together for as it relates to our country. So some of the events that I'm going to mention may be outside of our area, but I thought it might be encouraging for you to hear that there are men and women of faith who are praying all across the state of Oregon. I don't have a list for Washington, but my guess is there are far more of them there. Uh, as well. Uh, Rainier Mayor's Prayer Breakfast is taking place at Rainier Community Church of God in Rainier, Oregon, and uh, they are planning on uh, gathering in the morning, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. for the purpose of prayer. There's a Portland Day of Prayer, and that's spanning from noon to 8 p.m. at Maranatha Church of God, and this represents nine churches from the greater Portland metropolitan area. They're going to be coming together in unity to pray according to the prayer guide provided by the National Day of Prayer, and each church is going to be responsible for one hour of prayer during that day-long event, again, from noon to 8 o'clock. Redmond Prayer is taking place at noon at Highland Baptist Church for the National Day of Prayer. And that's an opportunity, once again, in Redmond, for believers to come together and humble ourselves and pray. There's also the Na- the Redmond National Day of Prayer Breakfast. Salem has a National Day of Prayer event that's taking place 7 a.m. to 7.45 a.m. at St. Joseph's Catholic Church. Uh, it's also... Um, 
an opportunity for people from various denominations to come together and pray. In Seaside, at Seaside Northwest, there's a prayer breakfast at 7.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. at Duger's Seafood and uh, Grill in Seaside. They're coming together to enjoy a buffet-style breakfast, to pray, to sing together, worship, and enjoy fellowship on this National Day of Prayer. PDX Gather at the Flagpole for Prayer is taking place at the Greater Portland Baptist Church. That's from 8.30 a.m. until 9.15 p.m. They're gathering at the Flagpole for songs, the pledge. Uh, uh, pledges and prayer for the uh, the nation with our uh, the neighbors and the Greater Portland Bible Church family. So they're inviting the community to join them. They're located in Portland on Southeast Main Street. Again, that's Greater Portland Baptist Church. Cresswell National Day of Prayer. Uh, they're holding a luncheon. That's 11.30 a.m. to 1 o'clock p.m. at Hillside Church um, AG. That's in Cresswell. In Albany, there's a National Day of Prayer event at Lynn County Courthouse on the steps from noon to one. The people of God are going to be in prayer. In Astoria, the Astoria Seventh-day Adventist Church is hosting a time of prayer from noon to 1245. A fellowship prayer for our nation and our leaders. At Eagle Point, there's a National Day of Prayer event at Eagle Point Community Bible Church. Uh, and they're meeting from noon to 1245. In Grants Pass, they're praying for America from noon to 1 o'clock at Josephine County Courthouse in Grants Pass. It's an annual gathering for prayer for our nation, for the state of Oregon, for Josephine County and its cities. And in Lake Oswego, there's a National Day of Prayer event from noon to 1 o'clock. That's going to be at the Lake Oswego City Hall in the parking lot behind it. That's where the prayer is going to take place. They're praying for God's protection and direction for our nation, for our leaders, our troops, the community, our schools and churches. Children of all ages are welcome to join the event, and they are praying uh, rain or shine. There will be a covered area in case of rain. My understanding is we're going to have sunny, warm skies, much like today, tomorrow, so that should not be an issue. There's a National Day of Prayer event also here in Portland at Westgate House of Prayer, uh, and that's from noon to 1 o'clock p.m. They're praying for the metro Portland area, the state of Oregon, for our region and for the nation. Reedsport Community is uh, gathering for prayer. They're having a prayer meeting at Reedsport Community Church in that town, and that event is taking place. I've turned the page uh, too soon. They're gathering from noon to 1 o'clock. And then the Dalles has a National Day of Prayer event on the steps of the Wasco County Courthouse in the Dalles. They're going to meet to worship and praise with music by Sunrise Academy and music director Fred Blakely. Their opening prayer is going to be given by a local pastor, followed by open prayer and closing with prayer from another pastor in the area. So this is going to be a time uh, where people are, are praying. It's going to be, as I mentioned, on the steps of the Wasco County Courthouse, and people will be gathering to pray. In Lincoln City at the National Day of Prayer, they're meeting in the evening from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Lincoln City Cultural Center, and uh, people are invited to join the Lincoln City Cultural Center or to gather there um, on Highway 101 in Lincoln City. They're meeting from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Redmond Community Prayer, that's taking place from 6 p.m. to 7 at the Redmond uh, Community Prayer Central Christian School there. Worship with uh, different churches, praying for the community and the nation, followed by small group uh, breakfast prayer session. Although it's a breakout prayer session, 6 p.m. they're not going to have breakfast. It's a breakout prayer session. Refreshments are going to be served. So again, just encouraging people to pray. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to have the right words. You're gathering together on behalf of our nation as we humble ourselves and ask God to intervene in the affairs of men right here in our country. Beaverton Moms in Prayer, they're having a National Day of Prayer gathering. That's 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at Westside Church of Christ in Beaverton. Women of all ages are invited to join them. Again, 
again, that's Moms in Prayer. Uh, members uh, are gathering for an evening prayer for our country, community, schools, and children. It's a non-denominational ministry. They, it's a gathering of moms, grandmothers, and women to pray scripturally and conversationally for kids in schools, preschool through college, career-aged kids. Uh, so that's uh, that's coming up at Westside Church. In Gresham, uh, they have a National Day um, of Prayer event at Rivers Hill, or rather River Hills Church in Gresham. Again, United in Prayer. It's an evening to unite in prayer for our nation, and all are invited. Again, that's at uh, River Church, River Hills Church in Gresham. Damascus has a National Day of Prayer observance, and that's at Christ the Vine Lutheran Church in Damascus, 7 o'clock p.m. to 8 p.m. So for a full hour, there's going to be a time of prayer. And in Hermiston, the National Day of Prayer gathering is uh, 7 p.m. to 8.30 at the Hermiston Christian Center. Now, as I mentioned, there are lots of events taking place all around the country, certainly all around the states of Oregon and Washington. And if you don't know of a gathering, I would encourage you to just take some time where you are undistracted and can pray, uh, because as we're praying in unity, uh, we are praying together, whether or not we're in close proximity. So that's tomorrow, the National Day of Prayer. And I hope uh, all of us will set aside time for that purpose. Well, coming up on the program tomorrow, uh, in addition to acknowledging and recognizing the National Day of Prayer, we're going to talk with Leslie Fields. She's the author of The Wonder Years, 40 Women Over 40 on Aging, Faith, Beauty, and Strength. The book is published by Craigle, and we'll talk with her about that on Thursday. And then on Friday, we'll lighten up. So I hope you'll join us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to thank Chris Williams for engineering today's program, Jim Blend for producing, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.